we are in John chapter 1, so if you have your Bibles, will you turn with me to John chapter 1? And uh, as I mentioned that daylight savings, I had an extra hour this morning, and in the process of having an extra hour, I... Uh, was able to get one of my three Christmas trees up, so I think I made my wife happy. Yeah, that was pretty exciting. And uh, I love this time of year and the season. So if uh, someone, someone posted this in social media that if you set up Christmas stuff early, you're probably a happier person. And I certainly knew that I felt happier this morning that one of the trees was up. So that was good stuff. any rate, uh, and I was happy that when not all the lights came on, and I went to put on a few extra lights just by wiggling it a little bit. Those other lights came on, and I was like, yes, it made me smile. You know what I'm talking about, because you've set Christmas trees up that are pre-lit, and then you plug it in, and half the lights don't show up, and you have like this zebra tree, and you're like, ah, I don't know how to fix that stuff. And then inadvertently, you wiggled it, and all of a sudden, the lights came on, and you're like, it was a miracle. Probably wasn't a miracle. It was just probably a bad connection somewhere. Anyway, it's good. Uh, we've been looking in First John, or excuse me, in John chapter 1, and we've been looking at a number of things associated with a man called. A man called. His name was John. But we're looking at what it means to be the called. We're the ones that God has called. We are the children of God. And so it's a come and see series, and you're gonna see those words coming even from Jesus' mouth in just a few short weeks where he will say, come and see. And then we'll see those words repeated even by the disciples. And so in this come and see series, we're in week four or part four of what I think could be a five-part message unless we tackle it all this morning. We'll see the rest of it this morning. Week one, we looked at two attributes of the called, that we are sent by God and we're sent with a purpose. Week two, we looked at two attitudes of the called. First, we are to be the people who are honoring God or honoring Jesus and to be those that are humble in the sight of the Lord. Week three, last week, we looked at the two arenas of the call. Those two arenas are, first, those who are afar off. In other words, those that are not in our normal realm of influence. Folks that we bump into on a daily basis that aren't part of our normal environment. And then those that are close to us, those that we see on a regular basis, those that are a part of our daily lives. Could be family members, could be neighbors, could be those that we work with. There is an arena, and God has placed us in those arenas uniquely to be salt and light and to convey the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, today we are gonna look at really, we might get to four stories, four men, personal stories, and four aspects of the message of the called. Four aspects. Now, if time doesn't afford for it, we'll hear about two men and two aspects, and then next Sunday we'll hear about two more men and two more aspects, if you will. Okay, so... Let's, let's be introduced to the first man. A number of years ago, while I was a student at Portland State University, say that was a long time ago, Pastor. <laughs> a long time ago, while I was a student at Portland State University, it was a regular practice for me and my roommates. There were four of us that lived in this apartment. It was a one-bedroom apartment. 
we were four football players, and uh, we were all quite large fellas. We didn't, we didn't really have bed frames. We just took the mattresses in the one bedroom and laid all four of them on the floor in a configuration that it managed. You could barely walk between the mattresses, and there were just heaps of clothes that were yours in your corner, so to speak. And so that's how it was living with a bunch of big guys. Anyway, we would make a regular practice on the nights just to go downtown and love on people and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I remember one particular night, I and my friend Steve, we were walking downtown on Broadway. And as we were making our way down to Pioneer Courthouse Square, we saw a man coming our direction. This man was a typical man that you might see that had marginalized his life. We'll call him the drunkard. He was easily distinguishable from those around him. He had clothes that seemed somewhat ragged. He was talking with people with his hand out. He was begging. He was unclean physically. It was cold outside. But you could tell he was carrying his life's possessions with him. And I noticed that as he would walk up to people, people would turn and move away from him. Or they would just do one of these things and walk by him. And as Steve and I were walking up, we're like, this is our guy. Because this is what Jesus has called the church to be about. And so immediately as we came up to this man, we both began to say the same words as he asked us for money. We both said and looked at each other as we started the sentence, silver and gold. Then we looked at each other like, who's gonna finish this? And he, I, I bowed and said, finish. He said, silver and gold, we haven't. But such as we have, we give. In the name of Jesus Christ, be born again. And we shared the simplicity of the gospel. Literally, in a matter of minutes, Jesus came and died a substitutionary death. He died so that you would not need to die. He paid the price for our sins, and he wants you to have life everlasting. And we asked him if he would like to put his faith in Jesus Christ and what Christ had accomplished upon the cross. And he said, yes. And so there we prayed with this man to receive Jesus. And we were so excited because this all, this eternal transaction took place in about seven minutes. And we were like, we haven't even made it down to Pioneer Courthouse Square. And this man has been born again. And we were so excited. And Steve couldn't contain himself. And I began to think, oh, but will it last? Will it last? Was this real? Was he just saying what we wanted him to say so that maybe we would give him some money? And so as we prayed with him, encouraged him, asked him if we could get him some clothing and blankets, he said no, and he began to continue his walk. We thought, well, Steve thought, praise God, this man, his name is written in God's book. 
And I'm like, yes, I hope. I said, we got to follow him and find out if this, some of this stuck. And so as he made his way around the next corner, he started up past Nordstrom. So he had walked up that uh, Broadway, past Pioneer Courthouse Square, turned really what would be west and started heading up the street. And we saw another couple walking toward him. And I said, oh, man, he's probably just going to ask for more money so that he can go buy some more alcohol. And so, sure enough, there was a transaction between the three of those folks from a distance. So I said, Steve, we got to stay here and ask about the conversation. So we waited what seemed to be about five minutes. And then this young couple started making their way toward us. And as they approached us, we said, hey, can we stop you and ask you a quick question? Of course, they were taken aback because here's a couple of big guys. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, what? <laughs> the, the poor guy, he was like, are we going to make it out of this scenario? <laughs> and I said, no, it's, it's simple. I said, the fella that just came up and was talking to you. I said, what did he say? And to my delight and surprise, they said, he told us how Jesus had forgiven him of all of his sin and that he had just received Christ and he was born again and his name was written in heaven. And I looked over at Steve and I said, oh, me of little faith. And this guy shared the gospel with them. And they said, praise God, we're already born again Christians. We were so excited, we encouraged him. And we thought, hallelujah, the good seed works. And this man was born again. He was once a drunkard, but now born again, delivered, child of God, part of the called, part of the called, you and me. And so today as we look at John, I would that we would all be reflecting that we are the called. And yes, all of these things, we are sent by God. We're sent with a purpose. We are honoring Jesus. He must increase. We must decrease. We must recognize there are those who are afar and there are those who are near. They need the message, the good news. And so, let's look together. John chapter 1. Verses 6 through 34, we're going to read verses 6 through 9, verse 15, and then we'll jump to 19, and I'm going to add verses 35, 36, and 37. It's not going to be on the screen, but you can follow along in your Bibles. It says this, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Let me stop there. Just know that you can put your name in your Bible. There was a man sent from God whose name was Dave whose name was, you put your name there, because this is the message for all of us. We have been sent. This man, verse 7, came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all, everyone say all, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Verse 15, John bore witness of him and crying out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me 
for he was before me. Verse 19. Now this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who was preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. Verse 32, and John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testify that this is the Son of God. Verse 35, again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. This morning, again, the four aspects of the message of the called. Number one, the message was conveyed with conviction. The message was conveyed with conviction. Verse 34, John says, testifying with absolute conviction. Conviction. He said, this is the Son of God. This is the Son of God. Convinced because the one who had spoken to him revealed to him what was going to happen, and then he saw that very thing happen. The Spirit descending upon him in the form of a dove and remaining, alighting upon him and remaining. He said, I know that I know that I know that I know. This is the Son of God. Absolute conviction. In fact, beyond conviction to the place of absolute belief. This is the Son of God. This is Messiah. This is the one whom was spoken of. This is the Christ. This is the prophet. This is the one that was spoken of beforehand from the very onset of creation, from the first of the prophets, Adam in the garden, 
all the way up through all of the prophets to this very day. This is the Son of God. Also, the message conveyed with conviction, testifying in that conviction, testifying also with consumption. You say, consumption? What do you mean by that? Consumption. It was all consuming to John. This is what he was made for. I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight, make straight the way of the Lord. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. He says, I must. And he makes the statement Verse 31 and verse 33, I did not know him, comma, or semicolon, but. I didn't know him, but. Now, so often I've read this portion of scripture and that troubled me hearing John the Baptist say he didn't know him. For after all, Jesus was his cousin, You remember the story. It's the Christmas story. It's a marvelous story. When Mary had been visited by the angel and she was told that she was going to have a child, miraculously, the virgin would be with child. And Gabriel said, Mary, that's you. Blessed are you among women. And so she goes to Elizabeth's house. And when she arrives, Elizabeth says the child within her jumped with joy. And she said, how is it that the mother of my Lord would come? Elizabeth, John's mom, knew Mary and the baby, Jesus, in her womb. And Elizabeth was pregnant before Mary had even been visited by the angel. And it was a miraculous thing. You know the story. Zacharias was serving in the order of Abiah, and he was there in the temple. And the angel Gabriel came and said, look, in your years, your prayer has been heard. He had been praying that they would have a child for years and years and years. And now, while advanced in years, he and Elizabeth, beyond the years of having children, Gabriel says, Elizabeth will be with child. He says, how can this be? And as a result of even questioning the angel, he is made mute until John was born. And they asked him, confounded that there's no one in his family named John. And when Elizabeth said the child's name is John, they turned to Zacharias and said, what is his name? And he motioned and said, bring me some paper or bring me a tablet. And he wrote, his name is John. And immediately he spoke and he began to praise God. And this miraculous story was told all around the region. Who would this child be? John would know who this man Jesus was because Elizabeth certainly would have been telling. Zacharias certainly would be telling. And so when he makes the statement, I did not know him. There must be something more about that. Thus comes the structure and the context of our text. I did not know him, comma, but. I did not know him but to make him known. That's the only way I knew Messiah. I must 
make him known. That's it. And the, this message conveyed with conviction to you and I as believers like John, I must know him only to make him known. That I would be a conduit of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know him. Paul said that I would know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to make him known in his resurrection. He is the son of God, Messiah. I must make him known, testifying, consumed. I did not know him except to make him known. To know him is to convey him. To know him, God is love, is to convey love. That's you and me. We get to be love to all men, even those that are quote-unquote unlovable. God help us. Where are you in the midst of that journey in your life? You're a follower of Christ. You put your faith in Jesus. Are you so consumed that you must make him known? Are you so convinced and convicted that he is Messiah, that you must make him known? How well do you know him? How well do you know him? Are you convinced this is the Son of God? There's a well-known atheist. This is the second man. We've seen and heard the story of the drunkard. This is an atheist. He's a magician. Perhaps you've heard the story. You know them as Penn and Teller. You know Penn and Teller. A few years ago, Penn gave testimony of a man after a comedic time the man came up and handed him a Bible. This is what it says, and this is his testimony. You can see it on YouTube. A few years ago, Penn recorded a short video about someone who came to talk to him after one of his magic shows. He said the guy was about his age and had participated in one of the acts as an audience member. The man complimented Penn on the show, then said, I brought this for you. The man held up a small book. It was a New Testament with Psalms, something that could fit in a person's pocket. We can thank the Gideons for that Bible. It was a Gideon Bible. The man says, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. The man explained he was a businessman and not a crazy man. Penn, moved by the man's gestures, recalled he was kind, he was nice, and he was sane. And he looked me in the eyes and talked to me. And then he gave me this Bible. I've always said, Penn explained, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I want you to hear these words again. I don't respect people who don't proselytize. He says, I don't respect that at all. If you believe there is a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever. And you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward for you. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? 
Powerful words for every believer coming from a man who has no faith, but saw the kind gesture of a man with sincerity who simply gave a Bible to someone he had never known. Conviction. Are you and I, are we convicted that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? So much so that we must make him known. John was a man like that. Secondly, the message was conveyed with consistency. So first with conviction, second with consistency. He was testifying to the masses. Verse 29 says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He was declaring it to all those as he saw Jesus walking. Everyone that was there who had come to John for the baptism of repentance there in Bethabara at the Jordan River, all those, he's standing, he sees Jesus, and he declares to the crowd, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And I read verse 36. In verse 36, he was standing with just two of his disciples. Just two. And when he saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. A consistent message. A consistent message. Testifying to the masses, testifying to individuals. I'd also just direct your attention, if you could turn back to the Gospel of Matthew, or I think these verses are on the screen as well. Matthew chapter 3. Again, the story of John the Baptist coming from Matthew's perspective. Verses 1 through 12. Follow along with me. It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt and, uh, around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Uh, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his, fleshing, his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John's message a message of consistency, testifying to the masses, testifying to individuals, and testifying 
a message of repentance and coming unto Messiah and having works of repentance and fruitful works for the Lord. Let me ask you a question today. What's your message look like? Do we as the body of Christ send out a consistent message or do we send out mixed messages? Does the message we send out, is it contingent upon the people that we are with? Does the crowd dictate our communication? Does the crowd dictate what we say? John made no bones about it. In fact, he gets pretty aggressive, as we'll see in just a few moments when we look at the next point as he conveys the message in context. But what about you and me? What's our message? Is it consistent at home, at church? It's easy to have the message consistent here, isn't it? Everybody nod. I mean, it's pretty easy because we're amongst God's people. When we talk about God, we can talk about Jesus. In fact, I think the more we talk about Jesus in this context, it's, it's very good. Have you noticed that even it's almost acceptable to talk about God in public, but boy, you turn up the temperature when you talk about Jesus, right? I mean, that's, that's a dividing line. So at home or at church, maybe it's a little easier, and then we find ourselves in our places of employment, or maybe we find ourselves in a different crowd or a different group of people. What about consistency? God help us to not be ashamed or in fear. Now, certainly we must live with wisdom, right? I mean, we don't need to go out and actually blast people. I got my gospel shotgun, hallelujah, and I'm going out today. Hey, bro, and, you know, shoot them and just like, you're going to turn, you know, you're going to burn in hell if you don't get Jesus. I'm not saying that that's the way to do it. But we certainly shouldn't be shy, and we certainly shouldn't be ashamed. We're to let our light so shine. No one builds a city on top of a hill to be hidden. Remember, we sang last week, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Let's let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Work. What about on vacation? Are we still salt and light on vacation? Yeah. There is no vacation from being a follower of Jesus. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Okay. Okay, number three. The message was conveyed with context. Did you notice that when he was speaking to the Jews, which are those that were coming to him, or to his disciples, he used a language that they were familiar with. Behold the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. The Lamb of God is a cultural thing for Jews. They understand. For it was a lamb that gave them life in Egypt. You recall the Passover lamb. And they would take the blood of the lamb and put it over the doorposts and the lentil. And the death angel, when he saw the blood on the doorpost, he would pass over that house. 
And they were given life. And they were given liberty and freedom. And so he's using a language that they would understand that God would be sending a lamb who would take away the sin of the world. That it would no longer be the blood of bulls and of rams, but the blood of the Lamb of God, which was slain from the foundation of the earth, from the foundation of the world, God would send. And so they speak in that cultural, that familiar language to those folks. I think that's awesome for you and I. We get to communicate to folks where they're at. Does that make sense? And that enables us and gives us a plan. We should hear people's stories as we communicate the gospel so that we can meet them where they are. I love that that's what Christ did with me. And I'm certain that's what he did with you. He met you where you were. And so to come with that cultural relevance, if you will, in meeting folks. Look, we saw Paul do it in Athens. He gets to Athens, and he says, hey, I see you're some religious folk here. You're worshipers. He says, I see you have all these gods. He says, let me talk to you about this one altar down here, to the unknown God. He says, that's the one I want to talk to you about. And he uses that context to reveal Jesus to those Greeks. Powerful powerful. It's interesting also that he addressed the self-righteous religious folks of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And Matthew gives us this account. He calls them a brood of vipers. That's pretty aggressive. A brood of vipers. Just like the lamb was culturally relevant the serpent was culturally relevant. It goes literally all the way back to Genesis chapter three. I will put enmity between thy seed and the woman's seed. Who was he talking to? The serpent. Who is the serpent? Revelation chapter 12 and verse nine tells us. The dragon, the serpent of old, the devil and Satan is his name. <laughs> so John is calling him, hey, you're the children of the devil. The religious leaders. He's putting them in their cultural context. You're missing the boat. Because it isn't about our works. It isn't about our efforts. It isn't about our abilities. It's all about the grace of God. You, you know, when Jesus addressed them, he also let them know, you're not children of Abraham. He said, if you were, you wouldn't be seeking to kill me. He said, I do what I have seen with my father. You do what you have seen with your father. And they said, hey, man, we're not illegitimate kids. We're not bastards like you. Your mom, she was pregnant before she was married. He said, my father is God. Your father is the devil. And he just gives it plain and just tells him right out. This is how it is. And so, and he said, I seek to do my will. You seek to do the will of your father. 
a murderer from the beginning. And so, context. I, uh, another night I was down on the streets of Portland thinking about context. There were four of us this night down on the streets. And uh, again, a couple of big football players. I was about 285 pounds in those days and uh, carried around about uh, 12% body fat. So I was a you know, big husky guy. And my roommate was 315 pounds. And he was, you know, this guy could bench press a house. And, uh, and then the other guy, six, five and a half. And uh, these guys, I mean, one went to play for Houston back in the day. And the other played uh, preseason three, three, uh, three years with the Los Angeles Rams. And we're, we're just a couple big, three big guys. And then our fullback in those days, Kurt, uh, Kurt Green, who's uh, over at Willamette Christian, and he's got a great ministry going on over there. Uh, he's about six two and a half, six three, and he was 245 pounds. The guy could run a 4.640, and the guy was a, just a meat wagon and could just move fast. We saw this guy come running around this corner, and he's got a bag, and I've probably told the story before. He's carrying this bag, and he's just running as, he's running as fast as he can. And we hear all this ruckus behind him, and they're just, this guy yelling, and another guy comes running around the corner. Get that guy. Get that guy. He's got my bag. Blue 32 said hike. I mean, we just took off after this cat. And this guy ended up in the direct path of literally a steam engine. I mean, when we pile drove this cat into the side of a building, I think we made him paper thin because I hit him, Roland hit him, and John hit him, and Kurt was like the cleanup guy. I mean, it was just, and he was just mangled on the side of this building, and the bag is on the ground. This guy comes running up, and he goes, he picks up his bag, and he goes, thank you, thank you, thank you. I just took photos at a wedding, and this is my camera bag. Yeah, you can only imagine what that would have been like. Well, you see, I was having something cold to drink after the wedding, and this fella stole your picture. Sorry. So it was kind of one of those moments. And about that time, John had run down to Pioneer Courthouse Square, and he got the horse police officers, and clip-clop, clip-clop, clip-clop. Here come these two horse police officers. A car comes in. A couple of bicycle cops come in. And this guy is just broken to pieces over here against the wall. He's bloody. And all the guys were, you know, kind of talking to the police, and a huge crowd had kind of gathered. And I will tell you that there was something going on in my heart. This guy's broken, and I've been broken. I've been a mess. And I remembered turning back and looking at this guy, and he was just weeping. He was just weeping. And I leaned over and I said, Bro you're probably going to get convicted. You may go to jail. I said, but I want to tell you about the guy who has come to set the captive free, to set at liberty those who are in prison. And I said, I don't know your circumstances outside of tonight, but the God I know and the Savior I know, he is able to help you in your time of need, and he will if you will but yield your heart and give your life to him. He'll turn your life for good. And I said, would you like to pray a prayer of faith and put your faith in Jesus Christ? And he said, yes. And I prayed with him there on the street with blood running down from his mouth and from his forehead in a broken state. 
just crumbled on the side of the street. He yielded his heart to Jesus. And as we finished praying, I turned around and there was this stocky, buff police officer just standing right behind me like this. And I turned around and I looked at him and he's, that was the coolest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I'm like, well, praise God. I said, this man just gave us, he goes, he gave his heart to Jesus. He said, I want you to know something. I'm a born again Christian that's a police officer. And he says, that man will ride in my car and I will make sure he has a Bible and we'll see a chaplain. I'm like, how cool is that? That's so good. And here's the thing, in that context, here's a man who was broken and the Holy Spirit moved upon me to simply say to this man, I know the one who has come to set the captive free. Those that were in prison to be liberated. And not only was he protected and given this escort in the back seat of a police officer's car, protected from a mob, protected from a man who couldn't stop yelling profanities at this poor, sorry soul. He was liberated from his sin debt that was eternal. And God has entrusted this message to you and me. Thanks be to God. Quickly, number four, it was conveyed constantly. Conveyed with conviction, consistency, in context, and constantly. It says in that portion of Scripture, verses 35 and 36 and 37. Verse 35 begins with the word, again, again, the next day, behold the Lamb of God, constantly. I would that you and I would convey this good news constantly in all of our circumstances. You've heard of the drunkard, you've heard of the atheist, you've heard of the thief. One more story. This is the story of the man who was the walking dead. And I've shared this story before, but in my life, it was normal for me to go down to the waterfront. It was normal for me to go down when I lived downtown, to go down to Pioneer Courthouse Square and make my way down to the waterfront. On this particular night, there was a larger group of us and we had made our way down to the waterfront. We had stopped at some adult bookstores and we were encouraging people that God had a plan for their lives and we were praying that God could maybe use these buildings for a greater glory and a greater purpose and God shut these businesses down, which I will tell you, for years we continued to pray that way. We saw several buildings raised to the ground, just literally leveled to the ground. Uh, and one of those spaces is still, there's no building, they've made it a park where that building once stood. And so I thank God for the power of prayer. And so continue, continue, continue to pray. But I made, and with the group, we made our way down to the waterfront, and there we were praying. And I'm not a very spiritual guy. I just want you to know I'm just an average Joe, right? And it's not natural for me to be spiritual. It's just not. And so I, I have to make conscious decisions. And on this particular night, there was a lot of fervent prayer going on, and I was just like, I'm done praying. So I just kind of got up from the group, and I just walked down. And as I walked down to the waterfront, there was a man that was walking along the waterfront, and I call him the walking dead because he was on his, way to the Burns, or on his way to the Hawthorne Bridge with a pair of scissors in his pocket, a pair of tweezers in his pocket, not tweezer, tweezer, but like the clipping tweezers. 
And I didn't know this. He was walking, and as our paths coincide, I simply said these words, Jesus loves you, bro. And he stopped dead in his tracks. And he said, what did you say? And I kept walking. I turned around, like, this man stopped me. He was stopped in stride. He was, and he just, what did you say? I said, man, bro, Jesus loves you. He says, I can't believe you said that to me. I cannot believe you said that to me. And he reached into his pocket, and he pulled out those sharp scissors. He says, you don't understand. I'm on my way to the Hawthorne Bridge to cut my wrists and to jump in the water. I said, bro, you don't need to do that. Jesus loves you. He died for you to give you life, not death. I shared the gospel, the good news, the grace of our loving God. That man yielded his heart that night, invited Jesus to be his Lord and master. The God of life gave life. My buddy Kurt, who was my roommate, we got him hooked up in a hotel, stayed the night, encouraged him in his walk, in his new life in Jesus. And I say that as a reminder that no matter where we are, no matter where we go, our message is to be conveyed because you'll never know whose life you may be conveying the love of God to. You may encounter someone who is like a walking dead on his way or on their way to take their lives. And we share the love of God. So like John, there's purpose. God's called us to go.